Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it has broadcast continuously for over 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show is also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. Dr. Elsie's is also the founding and continuing sponsor of my New York Cat Film Festival of which I am the founder and director along with the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which premiere in New York City every October and then travel the USA and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. Go to dogfilmfestival.com and catfilmfestival.com to find out when we'll be where. Here's one of the really great things that happens when you find an author you love and his, his or her writing that you love and a book that you love. It's so sad when there's just the one book and you say, oh, please do get Wendell Thomas's book. But it turns out Wendell Thomas has written a series of books, one more delicious and delightful than the next. So we get to talk to her again about her novel called Lost Luggage which also, Wendell, has one of the coolest covers I've ever seen. I think I would like to frame that and just put it on the wall. It's so funny. How did the cover come about? Well, you know, I just, the book, if anyone winds up reading it, in the book, luggage actually is full of endangered animals. Yes, it is. It's one of the, it's a scam that's going on. And so I just thought, what we wanted to have some concept of just opening your luggage and seeing all these, (laughs) but we didn't want to give away too much plot. So my, um, my publisher at the time, Poison Pen, my editor, Annette, she and, um, and the graphics people just played around and played around until they, they got something they felt, um, was indicative. And I guess for me, I, I like it because it makes me laugh, but others shied away because of the snake, apparently. Oh, interesting. And of course, it's the other little critter on top of the tea that that's perched there. Well, I mean, okay, we're not going to spend too much time talking about covers because it's really what's between the covers that's so great. Here's what I want to say about your book and your writing and the frustration that you must have and that I as a reader have, not just as a radio host, which is it's really hard for a good book to be found. It's just there's so much 
that word noise, I'm not in love with the word noise. There's too many books out there, too many books, and not enough ways to find the ones that you might love. And I just want to say, Lost Luggage, when you say that the cover makes you laugh, the whole book makes me laugh. I just chuckle and chortle through the book, and I'm not a chuckly kind of girl. And it's just <laughs> these funny throwaway lines. The, this, the, the main character through all of your series is Sid Redondo, and she's this... I imagine her sounding like Brenda Vaccaro, this really tough, kind of tough, but old-fashioned dame kind of travel agent from Brooklyn, and she goes all over the world to try and help her clients who are kind of a ragtag bunch of people too. But she winds up constantly, and in this book particularly, winding up in the middle somehow of wildlife trafficking in luggage. Now, when did that idea as a theme come to you? Because it's really germane. It happens, I guess, that if someone could put the eggs or the little the little creatures inside someone's luggage, sneak it in there without them even knowing it. That that question they ask you in customs, has anybody given you anything to take or had any access to your luggage? And you think, oh, no, I don't have any heroin in my luggage. That's a ridiculous question. But could somebody have put little toads in there, I wonder? Yes. Well, that that was what, first of all, when I first started researching this, and we talked a little bit about this last time, I kept reading all of these um, articles online about guys with monkeys down their pants. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't, and you thought it was just some kind of a sex thing. I really did. And then, and pythons in their pants even more so. But then wow, um, I found out that there was actually, I, I read an article about a woman who had smuggled a um a baby tiger in her luggage um what and they thought it was stuck you know it's hoping it would look like it was stuffed i mean i cannot tell you the story honestly if anyone's interested just look up like endangered species in luggage and you'll find five thousand. and now oh i'm my god really southeast asia a lot of the stuff comes through africa southeast asia wow. you know and even a lot in europe and so and that's where i read about parrot sausages which are the most horrible thing where they put parrots in like pantyhose and they'll put a parrot in, then they'll tie it off, put another, tie it off. No. And this, so this happened all the time. So when I was trying to think about Sid and what would make her most incensed, it was the idea that there's, um, I don't want to give the whole plot away, but the airport is airport workers are involved in, um, putting things in quote unquote lost luggage. So people's luggage goes lost. Right. You know, and then after that they're not in control of their luggage. And then it gets returned right as they're flying back. So um and they don't think to open it to see has anybody added anything to my luggage. We always think, well someone's taken my favorite pair of shoes, which right. in Sid Redondo's case would be a lot of shoes. The woman is a shoe maven. She, you know, Imelda Marcos has nothing on her. Yeah, exactly. And if, especially because Sid is a hyper vigilant travel agent, the way she gets in trouble and what motivates the whole plot is actually she insists on checking the luggage. And so this, um, this throws her into all the problems, but it really does happen. I'll have to send you an article. There was something last week where a woman had um, a bunch of snakes in her really? This is yeah. really quite extraordinary because the book, for me, you could have made the whole thing up, just like everyone's dialogue is made up. They're invented <laughs> characters. But I did know, because you talked about it before, that there is a real aspect to this. 
but it's comical in the book. And that's what makes it so delightful. It's not a screed against don't traffic in baby tigers or put parrots in your pantyhose. Although, of course, that is a message we would like to get across, although most people listening probably not really motivated to do that. Although I guess we should all check our luggage uh, if you go to exotic places. I mean, it hadn't occurred to me. I will tell you that in Mexico, for sure, they rifle your luggage before and after it goes through the so-called customs control on arrival. Yeah, um, we'll and that's something people, you know, our State Department, this is a little aside, but our State Department doesn't issue warnings about countries where there is severe danger to American and in the case of Mexico, Canadian tourists because they have business to do with those countries. But things happen in airports and they happen by people wearing official uniforms and baggage handlers and it isn't yeah. to say you are going to come home and accidentally open and find pythons, but a little hypervigilance might wouldn't be the worst idea. And just be aware that it's it's not tra-la. This is not you know Doris Day in the 1950s with her hat box on the airplane. Although the hat box would have been a good place to put well, some of these creatures. Hard to secure the hat box, but this is why I personally I think I told you this last time. I only take carry-on luggage. And I've always done that. I gave Sid that quality. But honest to God, I go to Australia and I for four weeks and I only take carry-on luggage. Oh, my God. You must take little packets of Woolite to hand wash everything. Well, I do. And I take, you know, if it's cold, I take mohair, you know, instead of wool. and How funny. I've figured it out. And Sid does this in the book, actually. I think she um, she weighs everything and and to make sure she's not over her 15 grams or whatever. But... um, but yeah, it's a very, um, it, it does happen. It doesn't happen constantly, but it ha- in certain airports, it's more common. But mostly people do it themselves willingly. Right, but, right. Yeah, I've, yeah, the bad know, guys, the perps. At, at a, a senior citizen traveling on their, you know, final, you know, twilight trip to Africa, nobody's going to check that luggage. Right. Right. And they, so so it's, it's a very evil and ingenious scheme. Well, what's interesting is that Dr. Doug Mater, who is my co-host on Exotic Pets and wrote such a wonderful book, and I'm, I've put you two together, and I know that good things are going to happen because the vet, at, the vet at Noah's Ark, his his memoir, and he's working on the second edition of the memoir, it okay. does have an anecdote of a woman who came in, talk about willingly, and wanted him to tranquilize her pet I think it was an iguana. I'm very bad at remembering the different species that she was going to wear in her bra, that she was quite a full-breasted woman, and I guess it was going to give her much fuller breasts. And he wasn't (laughs) going to do that, but apparently she could have found someone who would, and she thought it was a perfectly reasonable request, leaving aside how torturous that would be for the iguana. I don't care if she had an uncomfortable, very long trip. You bring it to a country, this I think was Australia, where you could do terrible damage to indigenous species of various kinds. Yeah. You know, people, there's a little bit of live for yourself and yourself only. I, I want to make sure we have enough time for you to read the passage that I picked out so people get a sense of how completely hilarious the book is and that Sid, who faints and screams when she winds up at a, a conference for repeti- re- reptilian types, when she's at a travel conference and is terrified of them, winds up having this adorable affection for one critter that winds up in her luggage, not by her choice. So you can set the scene better than I, but I'd love you to read that passage. Okay, great. So just a little setup for someone who hasn't read the book. Um, 
Sid went to safari and she sneaks off. She's never been farther than New Jersey in this particular book. And she goes off with the plus one. She's just met Roger. And once she gets to Tanzania, she has a couple of horrible shocks. One is that two of her senior citizen clients are in jail. And the second is that there's $500,000 worth of endangered animals in their luggage. And third, <laughs> that Roger, her plus one, is actually living with the woman in San Francisco. And so this scene takes place the, that day that she finds that out. So she gets herself a separate hotel room. Roger, who's part of the World Wildlife Fund, like says he'll get the animals to a safe place. She goes off to her hotel room, you know, heartbroken, obviously. So, um, and as she's laying there trying to go to sleep, she hears some scurrying. So here's where we pick up. <clears throat> Excuse me. I knew from living in Brooklyn that roaches didn't actually want anything from me. They'd only cross over me on the way to something else. So I crawled into bed. Then I turned and saw a shadow, the shape of a three musketeers hat, move behind the bureau lamp. I grabbed a spike heel and inched over, only to find the chameleon from the Anderson's luggage casting a bizarre hand puppet on the wall. He had turned the dull yellow of the lampshade. He must have crawled out when I unlashed the suitcase. As a lizard started to lope along, grabbing the edge of the shade with his little Kermit hands, his stupidly long red tongue sprung out and snatched a cockroach the size of a Mars bar. Well, at least it was eating bugs. <laughs> I wasn't too keen on picking him up, so I unplugged the lamp, eased it into the bathroom, and closed the door. I would get him back to Roger in the morning. Finally, about 4 a.m., I fell asleep. The next thing I knew, it was 10 in the morning. I downed two bottles of water while I called Roger's room. The desk clerk said he'd already departed for his safari. Damn, what was I going to do with the creature? I needed coffee before I did any thinking. I stole some garnished lettuce off the breakfast buffet downstairs and put it in the bathroom sink where the chameleon had taken up residence. I had to admit he was growing on me. Maybe it was because he was all alone in an alien environment like me. Maybe it was because he reminded me of someone. I realized suddenly it was my ex-husband, Barry Manzoni. <laughs> they had bug eyes and ambling walk. What should I wear? Khaki washed me out. So I chose a linen shirt in rows that tied at the waist, a white denim mini skirt, and some low, i.e. three-inch, nude soft heels since I'd be hiking. After one look at my calves in the mirror, I replaced them with the Stuart Wiseman stilettos. <laughs> then I tried to figure out what to do with Barry, the chameleon. I didn't want the maids to sell him on the black market. He was currently lurching on top of the desk chair. I still had some lettuce, so I put on the edge of my carry-on in hopes he'd go for it and fall in. No such luck. He just shot his tongue out and took it right off the zipper. I edged the bag closer until it was right under him. Was this a bad fall for a lizard? It was only five inches. Just as he got to the edge of the chair, I scooped the bag down and kind of batted him in. He landed on top of my tote bra and immediately started to disappear. I realized how easy it was going to be to lose a creature who specialized in blending into its surroundings. So, just to be safe, I wound a fuchsia <laughs> scrub around the bottom of his tail. I left him more lettuce, hoping it didn't have E. coli. After all, he was now my plus one. <laughs> I put the carry-on on top of the shelf of the closet, put my do-not-disturb sign on the door, left the TV on, and headed to the lobby. 
see, this is exactly why the book is so funny and I think would make such a great audiobook. Every line is a kind of a throwaway. And they're very funny, but they're not dwelled upon and you're not congratulating yourself. I'm not saying <laughs> Elmore Leonard congratulates himself on funny dialogue. There is a kind of patting yourself on the back quality to it because his books are pretty much solid dialogue. But I just love the inner dialogue of the character, the characters in Lost Luggage. Everyone has this thought process that there's always somehow goes back to what really matters to them. Which shoes are they going to look good in? Or how will I keep this lie from my new girlfriend? Whatever <laughs> those things may be, while there's a whole plot going on. So it, I think as a reader, it's really engaging because you're like, Wait, we're talking about shoes? I thought we are concerned about Barry the Chameleon. And then the idea of tying an unnaturally colored scrunchie on a chameleon so that he can't fully blend is kind of wonderful because you know, because you do your research, they really can 100% blend. I don't think the rest of us think of that. We think, well, you know, we use that word chameleon about kind of shifty characters in Wall Street or something. But we don't realize that a chameleon can really do that. So there's there's lots of the natural world in your book, too, a sense of you really understanding how these creatures are and what they need and what they don't need is to be in people's luggage, that's for sure. <laughs> really don't. And I, I will say about this, it's one of, for me, it was a story problem. It's a, it's a solution to a story problem because the chameleon shows up later somewhere else. And I was like, how the heck can she realize it's the same chameleon? Right. She doesn't right. know about it. And I'm like, what can I do? So she knows it's Barry. And I was like, scrunchy. <laughs> well, I think you and Sid might have a little wee something in common, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe just the design and fashion part. Wendell Thomas, you have really done such a great job with Lost Luggage. My copy is going instantly to Dr. Doug Mater. He and his wow. wife, Jerry, who is a brilliant veterinarian herself, are going to love this. They have to fly back from Hawaii to Key West. I think it takes six or seven days. I have no idea. Sid <laughs> Redondo's travel would have gotten them there easily, more easily. I'm FedExing this book to them so they can laugh aloud on their airplane trips home. Yeah. Thank you for writing it and for the whole Sid Redondo series. It really is a delight. And those of you with book groups... You can get Wendell Thomas to join your book group virtually. Once you realize how great these books are, you're going to get hooked like I am. Thank you so much, Wendell. Thank you, Tracy, so much, and happy holidays. I hope you enjoyed the show. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, No Hide, and the hybrid dry food, Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaraner Maisie will eat. The show is also brought to you in part by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients to gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. My dogs love it every single day. 